Let's ask God to make us those soldiers in His army. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and just as you had to limber up your fingers for the song service, I ask you to do the same thing for the sermon this morning. We're going to be dealing with a lot of different passages going through the Bible. How many of you like what the teens did for the decorations this year? Uh, All I did was buy the poinsettias, and uh, they put them in and uh, put the candles in place and and, uh, did the windowsills and far above what we thought was going to happen. We thought we were going to have to wait a little bit to get everything done, but uh, they got it all done yesterday afternoon. And, uh, and uh, just enjoy the time. Uh, Christmas season is always just a wonderful time of year. Amen. And uh, I guess nobody enjoys it, right? How many, if you enjoy Christmas, say amen. amen. And uh, it's, uh, uh, you'll probably hear me repeat this often during the next several weeks. It's the only time of the year where even the world stops. And acknowledges the existence of God. And, uh, you know, the people want to think that the whole thing of Christmas has become commercial and giving of gifts and getting the things that you want. But I want to ask you a question. Why, why do we give gifts in America at Christmas time? It's a tradition, is it not? Well, traditions come from some place. Where did the tradition of gift giving at Christmas time come from? Uh, it was not purely a mercantile in, uh, invention of people who wanted to make money. Uh, Black Friday is called Black Friday because it is the day of the year that retailers are finally supposed to sell enough goods to pay for the entire year. Uh, that means that many retailers operate in the red, meaning in debt, until they get to Black Friday. Then they sell enough stuff to pay all their bills. And now from now until the end of the year is pure profit. And uh, I, I don't know that that's true or not, but uh, I, I read a few articles that uh, this year was a, a record year. And uh, people are happy and people have money to spend and, and they are spending it, but that's not why we give gifts at Christmas time. The tradition was an imitation of society of what God did. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. No layaway programs. No interest charged. There's no price that you could pay to gain what God gave us that day. And I want us just to spend a little time talking about some of the greater truths in the Bible. And if you would, take a moment and turn to Revelation 13.8 and we'll kind of start there this morning. But I, I want us to, to grasp something. The incarnation, that is the term that is used that describes in, meaning in, carn, meaning flesh, like carnival or uh, uh, carnivorous or all those other words. The incarnation was the enfleshment of Christ. That's when the eternal God of gods, the creator God of the universe, John chapter 1, and without him was not made anything that was made. Talking about Jesus in the book of Revelation, it says he is the beginning of the creation of God. And one crackpot many years ago who founded the Jehovah's Witness cult said, ah, see, he was the first created being. No, creation began from him, not that he was the first thing created. Uh, he is the beginning of creation. All of creation has its source in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the world always takes the scripture and turns it backwards. 
It always takes the wonderful truths of God and turns it inside out. You see, it was God's plan that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem's manger. Now, God didn't sit down when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and said, Huddle time, guys. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. we got to figure out what happened. Man sinned. No, God knew that man would sin before He said, Let there be light. His plan was already in effect. And this verse here is basically the negative of what we are talking about here. The chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, if you're familiar with it at all, gives us the history, gives us the prophecy, actually, it hasn't happened yet, of Antichrist. And how that all people are going to worship Him. If you wonder what's really going on today, we are watching the melding together of all religions. How many are keeping track of what's go- what went on in Turkey this past week? The Pope visited Turkey and he prayed in several mosques, including the main one uh, of the, the people of Turkey, their, their faith in Islam, and they allowed the Pope to pray in their mosque. Let me tell you something. Prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And this verse that we're reading here, verse 8, where we're going to really just dig in and get started this morning, it's talking about the Antichrist, and it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, did you get that? When Antichrist comes along, it says that all are going to worship him. In fact, if you read the verse before, it says he's going to make war with the saints and he's going to overcome them. You know, many people have tried to put out the light of the gospel. Nero was one of the first. And he used Christians as human torches to light his gardens at night. And the games that he would offer in the circus for people to watch and and to be amused by. Uh, Nero was a madman. Diocletian would send the legions of Rome into towns and villages that refused to offer incense to the emperor. Of course, he was the emperor and killed every living thing in the town. And yet, not 25 years after Diocletian's death, the emperor of Rome was proclaiming that he had become a Christian. Now, of course, we know Constantine was not a Bible Christian. He was the founder of the false Christian faith because Constantine only believed in one thing. Well, actually two. He believed in Constantine and whatever his mother told him. And she is a saint in the Orthodox Church because she figured out all these things that nobody knew. Uh, But let me tell you something. The Bible says, when Antichrist comes, he's going to prevail over the saints. That's one of the reasons why we believe that we won't be here. Because Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Amen? And so, these people are all going to worship him, but they have one thing in common. Their names were not written in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. In fact, if we put another passage together, their names have been blotted out. 
of that book because they refused to believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, God in His great knowledge, in His great understanding of history, He knows the end from the beginning. And there are those that have gone through and perverted the gospel and said, you see, that's proof that only certain people can be saved. No, that's proof that God knew who would believe in Him and who would not from the foundation of the world. That proves that the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem's manger was not a second guess at the redemption of mankind. God cannot fail, but we do. And God knew that mankind would fail. And God knew that if He set us up, every one of us, in the Garden of Eden, as Adam and Eve were, that every one of us would fall prey to the tempter and be exiled from God's love and His fellowship. You know, people want to blame Adam. Some people want to blame Eve. I'll tell you who you need to blame. Yourself. Because we've all made the same choice. And God knows. 1 Peter 1.20 says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God had it all planned out before He said, let there be light. But God does things in His time, not yours. How many of you have ever prayed, Dear Lord, would you please hurry up? God, I, I, I'm waiting on you. No, you're not. You're standing there tapping your foot, wiggling all around. you ever seen a teenager wait on anything? I'll tell you, it's absolutely hilarious. I have a house full of them, so I mean... Dad, can we pray so we can eat? It's only after you're still. Well, I'm still, but your sister isn't. Uh, we're, we're just going to wait. And it usually doesn't take very long to get everyone still and quiet. But it's a lot of fun just watching the process happen. I don't think God's is nearly as amused with us as I can be on occasion with my children. But He waits. His clock keeps perfect time. All the thousands of years of history, and by the way, we only believe about 6,000 years of human history. But that's still a long time, considering a normal human being only lives 70 years. Now, we know that they lived longer in the uh, early part of the Bible, and we don't have time to go in there, but I, I believe what the Bible says. Somebody said, how can you believe that Methuselah lived 969 years? How can you believe that? He said, have you ever listened to the nutcases? They used to be on WOR late night. Uh uh, all these doctors and things that said the human body was designed to live forever. You kill yourself. That's a scientific fact. Your, your body puts itself out of commission. When you're young, your body produces all kinds of hormones and chemicals that make you grow and make you develop and make you strong. And no sooner do you get strong and good looking and all the things that you thought you were when you weren't, your body starts stopping certain things, and it actually produces other things that make you get old and weak and die. 
And this guy was on there just waxing eloquent about the body could live for a thousand years. I figured if some nut on a late night talk show could figure out that the human body could live a thousand years, maybe God was right in the first place. Amen. You see, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's just start reading in verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, talking about when we get to heaven to be with Christ, of which salvation the prophets inquired and searched diligently, diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them? Which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow? Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things angels desire to look into. Now, did you get that passage? This is one of those passages in your daily Bible reading. If you're not careful, you just buzz right over it. It said the prophets diligently sought, trying to figure out the prophecies that they prophesied. When we got to the end of the passage that we read, it said, which things angels desire to look into. You know, everyone was curious, but they didn't understand what Bethlehem's manger was all about. But God knew. And you and I, we go so matter-of-factly, well, yeah, Jesus was born to take away the sins of the world. Well, I want you this morning to take a moment as we contemplate celebrating Christmas, celebrating the holiday season, That Abraham lived his entire life, 175 years according to the Bible. Only hoping and thinking about the things that you and I plainly see and know to have happened in human history. God had promised him the land of Israel. I don't like calling it the land of Palestine. I like calling it the land of Israel because God gave it to Israel. His other name was Jacob. God gave that land to Abraham and to Isaac and his descendants. And it's an amazing thing who lives there today. The Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham. That's biblical prophecy. But you know what? All the prophecies about the land have yet to be fulfilled. There are many That we're still waiting for. But the prophets wanted to know and understand. I've often over the years have preached on Simeon. The aged man at the temple. That picked little Jesus out of Mary's arms. As as they were in the temple for the purification. uh, Would have been. About a month and a half after Jesus was born, they were in the temple, and all of a sudden this old man came over. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I'm kind of particular about babies, especially newborn. Uh, my children, they just love the whole babies, and, and we have rules uh, when, when they were ours, and we try to help when they want to hold somebody else's, you're going to sit down. You're going to be somewhere where somebody older can watch you and make sure I know you're old enough. But you have to be careful with babies. And here Mary is holding that little baby and across comes Simeon and just picks him out of her arms. And looks down in that little face and says, I can die now. I've seen 
the salvation of the Lord. How many of you like waiting for things? I don't like waiting. Why, do, why should I wait when I can have it now, right? Well, you can't have everything now. And the greatest things are worth waiting for. God said in Ephesians 1 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven or which on earth, even in Him. Galatians chapter 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You know, there, there are people that argue that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. Now, I'll tell you, there are some things that we just don't do at church. We don't put a Christmas tree on the platform. And we don't let Santa Claus walk down the aisle. Uh, we just don't do those things in church. Because that has nothing to do with the real story of Christmas. But Santa Claus is an invention by people who don't want to believe in Jesus Christ. That's really where it came from. So am I committing a sin if I put up a Christmas tree in my house? Am I doing something wrong if I let my kids watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus is coming to town? I don't believe so. But... They know that it's a story, that it's a made-up story, that it's not really true. But you see, I can have fun as a family and with people that I know. And you know, one of the things that we make a mistake of is sometimes we try to get so spiritual that we squeeze all the joy out of life. Now be careful. But don't allow that to happen. There's an old time preacher one time, somebody gave him a dish of ice cream. And of course this would have been in the 1820s or 30s when ice cream was a brand new thing. And they put the dish in front of him and says, Here, you've got to taste this, preacher. It's the new thing. It's the most wonderful thing that's ever been invented. He said, Well, what is it? He said, It's iced cream. We just take cream and we put sugar and spices in it and we uh, uh, ice and salt and we freeze it. Well, freezers were something that only happened at Christmas time and when the weather got cold. It said that he took one bite of the ice cream and immediately shoved the bowl away and said, anything that tastes that good has got to be sinful. Now, I admire his desire to stay pure and serve God. But I join you in snickering at the way he tried to do it. Because God gave us this world and all the things that are in it to be enjoyed in serving him. Now, I know, I hope we don't have any nutcases in here says, yes, preacher, I agree with you. Marijuana is an herb of the field and God gave it. He didn't say smoke it. Let me tell you something. When something makes you lose total control of yourself, it's not from God. The only thing that you're to lose control of yourself to is the Holy Spirit of God. And as we think about this Christmas season, let's think about what God put into it. How that He planned it all out. 
before he spoke the first word of creation, before the earth was without form and void, before God said, let there be light, he knew there'd be an old rugged cross. He knew there'd be a manger in Bethlehem with a little baby in it. You see, God's plan was the redemption of mankind. And Jesus, over and over again, said, I've come to give you life, and that life more abundantly. Nehemiah told the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if God's people can't have a little joy, then God's people got a problem. Amen? If we need to go to the pig trough of the world to be happy, we got a problem. But can we enjoy thinking about all that God has done for us and how that that plan culminated in a feed trough Probably in a cave, dug into a Bethlehem hillside where they kept animals. I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Remember, somebody was arguing with me about Christmas and said, No, I'm not celebrating Christmas. It's a devil's holiday. Blah, blah, blah. And on and on he went. And I just turned to Hebrews chapter 1, and this verse right here. And it says, And again, verse 6, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. Now, here's what God said when Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. He called all the angels of heaven. And he said, I want you to worship him. You think there's anything wrong with us singing worship the newborn king and some of the Christmas songs? No, I don't believe there is. You see, God called in the angels. Now, the shepherds, we'll get to them in just a minute. They got to see the angels singing. They got to hear a message that God sent directly to them. You say, why doesn't God do that today? Because He's already done it. It doesn't need to be repeated. All we need to do is read it. Amen? And all the angels of God worshipped Him. They sang that song, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I don't know if you've ever thought like this. I mean, there are some things in history that I just somehow wish that you could just be there to witness them happening in real time as they did. And I'm not talking about a reenactment. I'm talking about being able to be there and see. If there's one thing I wish I could actually see in here, it would have been this. In Luke chapter 2, when that angelic choir appeared to those shepherds outside Bethlehem and sang to them. Of course, if you heard that, there'd be absolutely nothing that you could hear they wouldn't mean anything to you anymore. That's why God doesn't have us there. He wants us to be able to rejoice in our feeble attempts at singing praises to God right here in our church auditorium. Amen? And some of you can remember back when there weren't as many people. And it sounded kind of hollow and empty. Uh, and you know what? We could still use a lot more people to sing. And some of the people that sang this morning could sing a little better than they did. And we need to pray about that and work on that. Because we're singing praise to the God of heaven. I want you to turn with me to Micah chapter 4 and verse 8. 
Micah chapter 4 and verse 8. And this is another one of those illustrations of how prophecy is best understood after it happens. Jonah, Micah chapter 4 and verse 8. And chapter 4 is talking about when Israel shall be redeemed and live under the reign and the control of the Messiah. It's actually talking about what we call the millennial kingdom. And in verse 8, right in the middle of this, it says, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why dost thou cry out loud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. And it goes on and it tells that Israel is going to be taken and Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and they're going to be removed to Babylon. But why do you think the angels sang to the shepherds? Why were the shepherds the first one to hear? Well, where were those shepherds? Outside Bethlehem. This tower of the flock, as it's called in our King James Bible, is actually the name of an exact place. If you ever have a chance to, to visit the Holy Land, ask them to take you to Mikdal Eder. That is the tower of the flock. That's the place that's being spoken of here in Micah. That's where the shepherds were. And people want to argue about this, but I I don't think that there's really anything to argue about. They say, well, you can't know that. Well, let me ask you a question on Passover. They would sacrifice over 100,000 lambs. Now, normally, when a sheep gives birth, twins are fairly rare. It's usually just one. So, if I'm going to have 100,000 lambs, what does that mean? I need 100,000 mama sheep. And uh, a whole lot of rams wouldn't hurt the situation any in getting the little baby sheep going so that they'll be there and be born so that they can be offered on the... I mean, that takes some preparation, does it not? Uh, They didn't have railways. They didn't have C5 Galaxies and 747 Heavies to load all the little lambs from all over the world and fly them to the land of Israel. Those sheep had to be raised somewhere... Close enough to Jerusalem. Why do they call it the, what was the actual phrase here? The stronghold of the daughter of Zion. Because the strength of Zion was in the temple. And you know what? The temple didn't work if there weren't sacrifices. Every morning... There was supposed to be a lamb offered on that altar every evening beside all of the regular offerings. They say in in the high holy days of Passover when Jesus was alive and walked the face of this earth that the city of Jerusalem would swell from uh, a few hundred thousand to well over a million people as people crowded in that little city on top of the mountain to offer their sacrifices. You see, the tower of the flock did receive the first dominion. They were the first ones to learn of the coming king. And the shepherd says, said one to another, let us go even now unto Bethlehem and see these things. And you have the little manger sets and, and uh, 
You have two or three shepherds and one little lamb. Do you think two or three shepherds took care of 100,000 mama sheep and 100,000 baby sheep? I mean, in my mind, I wonder how many hours the shepherds paraded through the manger in Bethlehem. I mean, birth is one thing I've had a little experience with. Uh, My wife a lot more, of course. And everybody wants to see the newborn baby and visit and all of those things. And one of Dad's jobs is to kind of give Mama a little bit of privacy and a little bit of time so that she can recover. And I think of Joseph. How many more of you guys are there? Uh, you can. I, I'm not really sure. I mean, the, the word has gone out. There, there's a lot of us. But we were told by God to come and to worship the newborn king. This is God's sacrifice. He's going to put us... But God did. And that's why He told the shepherds. And one of the strangest stories in all your Bible. And I can't wait till I know as I'm known. I'm going to know the answer to this. How in the world these wise men figured out that that star that appeared in the east belonged to the Jewish king, the Messiah. I mean, there's been some pretty wild stories offered. The, the closest one that makes any connection at all is that those wise men had access to Daniel's prophecies and have figured out the time has got to be near. And when the star appeared, but I'll tell you the only thing that actually does make sense is that there were men in this faraway country who understood enough about God that when the Messiah was born, either through an angel or a spoken voice, God revealed to them that that star belonged to His Son in flesh. That's the only answer that makes any sense at all. Say, why would God reveal this to people who weren't Jewish, that lived hundreds of miles away? And by the way, one didn't come from India and Africa. It says they were in the east. They were all together. And do you think three guys showing up on camels with a couple little trinkets in their chest would make Herod and all of Jerusalem upset? No, it was quite a train. I mean, uh, border patrol was called out. Immigration. Uh, Hey, who is this troop? What are you doing here? And when Herod found out, he said, man, i got to meet with these guys. They could plant the seeds of rebellion that would destroy my authority as the king of the Jews. That was Herod's title. And when they showed up, we've seen the star in the east of the king of the Jews. Herod got a little upset. Do you know how many people Herod had murdered so that he could become king? And how many Romans he had paid off to try to convince them that he was uh, the fulfillment. I mean, he had married into the, uh, the, the Hasmonean or the Maccabean family, trying to... I wonder how much that cost. Uh, buy a wife. I mean, that's what Herod did. That was the kind of guy he was. Don't take time to study Herod. His life and his children's lives would put the slop opera star to shame. And that's all made up. He was upset. I'll tell you what. It was more than three camels that came into Jerusalem's gate. Because when the people, when these men to whom God revealed this truth began talking among themselves, as there has always been, a desire for the truth. So there was in the case of the wise men. And God will always 
reach out to a true heart to give them the truth. By the way, that's what missions is all about. You see, before this book was complete, God had to do miraculous things like send the angels to explain to the shepherds what was going on and somehow contact these wise men to let them know that what they had seen actually came out of this book called the Bible. But God's not doing that anymore. You know why? Because he's got this thing called the church. And we hold the completed revelation of God. You see, God doesn't want us to worship the babe in the manger. Because he's not there anymore. Is it good for us to remember it? Oh, yeah. Would it hurt for us to spend a little time talking about it? I think we ought to. It was the greatest act of love and giving in the history of the universe. One more time. For God, say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hey, what? We ought to celebrate. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would. First Corinthians chapter 15. Because we preach the whole gospel. There's a group of There's a religious organization, a group of people, they call themselves full gospel preachers. Uh, That's normally what I consider myself after lunch Sunday afternoon, as a full gospel preacher. Amen? And and the reason they do that is because they've added something to the gospel. They've added the speaking in tongues and miraculous phenomena to the gospel. And they say, now we have the full gospel. No, the full gospel is right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Verse 1, which I... What's that next word there? Which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand... By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Here's the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins. How? According to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was within me. Therefore, whether it be, whether it were I or they, so we preach. And so ye believed. You see, we preach the gospel. We preach all the gospel of Christ. Nothing extra. We're not trying to add to what the Bible says. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again. The third day, according to the Scriptures, you see, it was all God's plan. 
And God put it into, into action in His perfect time. And we're waiting for Jesus to come back. You know what? Nobody knows when He's coming back. He could come back today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But He could come back a thousand years from today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Didn't get as many amens that time. I got one the first time. None the second time. You see, we don't like to wait for things. But He will come back in His perfect time. Amen. I want you to turn one last passage and we're almost done. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll start in verse 7. Read down through 11. Verse 7 of chapter, of chapter 4, the book of 1 Peter says, But the end of all things is at hand. <coughs> Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, Peter said, the end of all things is at hand. We need to watch. How am I going to celebrate the Christmas season? I'm watching for his return. You know what? He came once, according to the scriptures. He's coming again. According to the scriptures. And as I remember Bethlehem's manger. I want to have. At least one eye looking to the sky. Because it says we're going to meet him in the air. Ever to be. With our Lord. There's a little bit of scary. Things. It's a little fearful thinking about that date. Because if we understand our Bible correctly, and I believe that we do, that will be the cutoff line. People that have heard the gospel and have refused, when Jesus comes for his church, will no longer have a chance. They'll find themselves among those who are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain. And we need to get the gospel out so that people will hear and people will understand. How do we do that? It says, watch unto prayer. Now, we don't have time to spend a whole thing on prayer, but prayer doesn't change God. Prayer doesn't make God do things for us. Prayer changes us so God can do what he wanted to do in the first place. So why do we watch in the prayer? To get ourselves out of the way. Amen. We're to have fervent charity one for another. You know what? He was writing this book. Uh, Peter was writing this book to Christians. You know what Christians are supposed to do? Christians are supposed to be part of a fellowship called the local church. Where are they supposed to exercise that fervent charity? One toward another in the, in the local church. Where are they supposed to exercise that charity? Well, read the book of Acts. Paul took several offerings for Christians in Jerusalem from the Christians that were in Greece and the Christians that were in what we call modern-day Turkey. The Bible calls it Asia. And they sent to help their brethren. We call that today missions. That's where our fervent charity ought to be shown. Amen? And you know what? We could have spent the whole time 
talking about people who have been offended by other people right in this very room here over the years. You say, what's the answer for that fervent charity? You see, love covers the multitude of sins. Love allows us to put up with each other. And, and by the way, where do we get love? God is love. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem manger? Because God loved so much that he gave. And we should love enough to give. Sometimes that giving means to take our feelings and put them aside so that they won't be injured by someone else. So that we can go through this life in love. You see, the hospitality that is talked about there is not just something that we do when we invite people over to our house. It's something that we do in our heart first. It's something we do between us and God and then it spills over to other people. You see, that's what verses 10 and 11 are talking about. As every man hath received the gift. If you're here today and you're saved, God's given you something. He's given you the gift of eternal life. Now He wants you to take that gift that He has given you and He wants you to minister it one to another. Well, how can I minister eternal life that God's given me to another Christian? Well, one of the easiest ways, show up at church and encourage other people to come. Amen? Make sure your prayer meeting. Make sure you serve the Lord with your life. Because when it's all said and done, only what we do that brings glory to Christ is going to matter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you.